Welcome to the Ordinary Investors Podcast with your hosts, Sean and Leah Baker. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Ordinary Investors Podcast. Today we are joined by Via Williams, industry leader in real estate, having spoken on some of the biggest stages from Inman Connect, Keller Williams Make a Camp, Family Reunion, Zillow, and Built Howe. She is the former president of Ben Kinney Brokerages, currently serving as the head of industry for Place, which is um, an all-in-one real estate platform that serves the top 1% of real estate agents in over 250 unique markets across the US and Canada. Via is the former co-host of the Empire Building podcast and co-founder of Her Best Life, a national group for women in business. On top of all of that, she is an investor, which is exactly what we are here to talk about today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Via. And uh, it's our honor and true privilege to have you as a guest on the podcast. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to talk about this. Awesome. Uh, Via, if you want to take us back to the beginning of your journey, I know it's an incredible journey. Uh, I got to hear it uh, twice. So once on your podcast, uh, when you shared it around the wealth building segment, and then again, when you came to uh, Canada here to do the ALC clinic with Keller Williams, uh, you shared it again. And uh, I think it's an amazing journey and uh, just a lot of, um, uh, uh, I guess, moments that... Uh, will challenge people's mindsets and uh yeah uh, just bring us back to the beginning of your journey and uh what that looked like yeah thank you that, that means a lot it really does mean a lot because um you know it's 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 easy to kind of feel like you're alone on an island so it's nice to get um to get encouragement by knowing that i'm maybe impacting someone so thank you for saying that you know, my my investment journey, uh, the good news for a lot of you listening is it does not go that far back, right? That's kind of part of the story. But but I will share that um, I'm probably older than a lot of you listening. I'm 53. <laughs> and, and that's important with the story because, um, you know, I didn't start this young. And so I just want to start out by, by encouraging those of you who are not necessarily under 40. It is never, ever too late to start. It's just not. I am more enthusiastic and excited about this than I ever have been. It's funny because through this journey, I've you know met some new friends. It's really cool. The real estate investment community is a really cool community, right? There's just really, uh, it's been amazing, actually. I didn't think I would walk into this like getting new friendships, but I have. And um, I'm I'm talking with people, two, two really close friends now that are almost 60 that just started in the last few years. So it's really not too late, like no matter who you are, who is li who's listening. But I'm a second generation real estate agent. I um, born and raised in Seattle, Washington. My dad um, had uh, started a, a very large, prominent real estate company here. And so I knew better. Like I you know, it wasn't like I wasn't getting this message young, you know, but it just wasn't anything that for whatever reason that stuck. Like, I couldn't tell you why. I dabbled, you know, we bought an investment property um, when I was in my 30s, my husband and I did. And then we ended up selling it during the downturn. And, you know, it wasn't like we didn't ever dabble, but that's all it was. It was just a dabble. Kind of during that time, 
we bought um, really our first investment property that we still own um, about 15 years ago, but then we did nothing since then, right? So that was kind of as the downturn was starting and that was that. So fast forward to, you know, all of a sudden I'm like getting into my late 40s and I have that moment that probably a lot of you have where you just go, oh my gosh, like, I have to figure out retirement and and like I'm in real estate and you know there's no 401k here. And so ironically, little did I know I would be moving over to a place <laughs> where I would have that. But still, you know, even if even starting a 401k then, like you're not going to necessarily be able to retire on that at, you know, 48. And so I just have one of those life moments. It's all I can describe. It's just one of those moments where for whatever reason you face reality and you're like, "Wow, like I I've got to figure something out." And and during that time, I kind of left my real estate team and started working for Ben Kinney and became at the time the president of brokerages. So I was running um, a, a bunch of uh, brokerage franchises that, that Ben owned here in Western Washington. And as part of that, he invited me to be in this master class. And, and this master class was highly elite. There's like 30 people from around the country flying in, spending a lot of money on it. And here I was, I got to go to it. So obviously I'm going to do the homework and do what's required because it was, you know, such an honor to be invited. And wouldn't you know, the first session, he sends everybody a net worth like spreadsheet to fill out. And I'm like, oh, so I didn't do it which is bad because, you know, I got invited to this master class and I, I really should have done it. So I didn't do it. And I just sat in that room feeling like a complete loser and fraud. I, I really did. I, I, there's no, I, you know, I was, I was, I was ashamed. I was deeply ashamed. And here I looked like I had it all together. I was on stages, you know, all over the U S I, you know, was teaching agents and, and, and I didn't know my own net worth and I didn't have, I one investment property that really wasn't performing very well for being honest. And, and that was it. So by the next master class, I, you know, I just kind of pulled on my big girl pants and just said, you know, it's time to rip off the Band-Aid. And whatever this number looks like, I'm going to do it. So I did. I, 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 you know, sat down and, you know, kind of harassed my husband. I was like, how much is in this account? And, you know, da, 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 da. Like, how much do we owe on the house? And he's like, what are you doing? You know, finally, he's like, what are you working on? And so... I started compiling all of our stuff, which I'd never done. I just have not been in that involved in my family's finances. I, I make, I'm, I make a lot of the income. I just hadn't been that involved in it. And so when I compiled my net worth, it was like December of 2018, it was negative $149,000. <laughs> And, you know, I only share that because like, you know, a lot of you listening probably have that. And, and it's funny because you would think I would be depressed and actually I was relieved. I, I it was a, it was a, a huge relief. I would not have predicted that reaction by the way, but it was a huge relief because it, there it was, there it was on paper. And now I knew that the stats. And so I just want to encourage you guys, like if you haven't done that, it's actually probably going to be better than you think, like just knowing what it is somehow helped me, even though it was a negative number. So that really began this journey. Um, the, the first stage of my journey was simply that. It was just paying attention to my net worth. And, you know, the, obviously the first milestone when you're negative is to get to a zero. You know, go figure that I actually celebrated having a zero net worth. Like that's a moment where you're like, what am I, like what's happening? What am I doing? But, you know, then it's like that first hundred thousand, that first, you know, and, you know, I, I'll, 
I will leave it at that other than to say it's 2023 now that we're, we're recording this. So we're, we're about midway through 2023. And I will just say I'm in, you know, I'm well into the seven figures and it's, that's, it's a massive blessing and it's because of real estate investment. It is a 100% because of my real estate investment that I'm there. And so, um, you know, how that all happened, I mean, that's what we're going to talk about like that, you know, not to oversimplify that, but the first step in my journey and I think maybe some of your journeys doesn't have to be, but for me, it was really helpful to get in a cadence of, you know, first of all, rip off the bandaid and like do my net worth and then get in a cadence of visiting that and, you know, bringing my husband, bringing significant others involved, you know, pretty soon he got really involved, started sharing the spreadsheet with him. He was updating it because what kind of happens is you start slowly replacing that addiction to spending or whatever it is that you're doing with your finances with that, right? You start kind of, that becomes like a, a shared goal. And, and if you're single, just a singular goal. But um, but for me, that was a really, really great first start. And I also kind of knew what I was working with. That, no, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing and uh, bringing bringing us back through the journey and what that looked and being being vulnerable with that. Um, you know, I think that uh, it's an important uh, step in the process is to uh, look at what you're currently at. Where where are you at right now? And then the goal that you're looking yeah. at uh, going to. And I can completely resonate with, uh, you know, looking at your uh, at the 401k or what do you have for retirement? I go back to my beginning of our journey and what brought me into real estate was uh, looking at the pension plan that I was in and uh, being like, this is just not enough. And how are we going to move this forward? Right. So um, so when you got into uh, real estate investing, what did the first investment look like? Other yeah, than, so other than the one that you held. Yeah, other than one I held. Well, first of all, um, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I, I probably should have I probably should have mentioned that. You know, for me, you know, kind of coming to grips with my net worth and tracking it was my first step. But my second step was not real estate investment. That was probably the third step. The the second step was um, starting to study how much I was going to need for retirement and really starting to have conversations with my husband that we had really never had before. It really opened up the door to a lot of really cool, how do we want to live like conversations and, and what, how do we want to live now and how do we want to live then? And, you know, what's our kind of target date ish and you know what what it, you know what kind of comfort level do we want at that point do we want a house paid off and x amount of money so i should have said you know that really was the second step so once we got a little clear then it really became okay let's reverse engineer that and go all right you know if we need a portfolio of about 10 million in real estate to cover this which which was kind of our number then how can we get there then then it gets you to a focusing question because th then you're like all right like i've attached this now to a, a why and to a, a you know a very tangible goal and time frame and and it it, it made us um i think much more productive and intentional and focused right on on the on the actual real estate investment side uh i also will say before we i answer that question then another significant mindset mindset shift happened because while i started this part of the journey focused on net worth i switched and now i feel passionate about saying our focus is not on net worth at all it's on cash flow cash flow first net worth second 
And, you know, so for us, real estate became the obvious choice. And, and but by the way, you can do cash flow with, with a stock portfolio. It is not, real estate is not the only way to do it. For us and so many of us listening who are in this industry and, you know, you know, part of it day to day, there's so many reasons it's such a good choice. And, and if cash flow is your number one goal, like I can't really think of anything better, but um, I'm sure there, there is that I'm not aware of. I'm certainly not a financial expert. So, so just kind of to want to, I wanted to just lay out that progression for you because it, it happened gradually. Like I didn't walk into it and all of that clicked at once. It was like, okay, first let's start measuring our net worth. And then, oh gosh, like how much of this are we going to need, you know, for retirement? Like, what do we want retirement to look like? When do we want it to happen? And then, you know, huh, because of all of that, because of our personal life and needs, cash flow is actually more important than net worth. Who cares what our net worth is? What, what we care about is that. So that leads us to the real estate thing. So our first goal um, that, that I think is a, a lot of people's first goal talking, talking to them is 20,000 a month. Can we, can we achieve $20,000 a month in passive income? And like, how much would that, how long would that take? And, and the answer is, you know, we didn't really know. Like we didn't really know. And everyone starts throwing around all these monies when you go to these conventions, you know, cash on cash return, NOI, and, you know, all the stuff. And, and you know, it was intimidating for a while. And, and I'll just share with all of you, you don't need to know any of that. What you, what you do need to learn up front are some fundamental numbers about, you know, what, what's going to work for you over time. I do think they become important. In fact, it's some of my lessons I've learned. But, you know, I don't think that on day one you need to walk into real estate having a calculator brain. So I just want to like say that to everybody. So we, first thing we did is I started reading, listening, talking to people, as many people as I could. And, um, and I was really careful to bring my, my husband into those conversations. So side note, um, don't do this alone. Bring in your significant other because you can go off on on one road and and it's hard to get buy-in. And you have to have the whole. You have to have, if there's two decision makers, both of you have to be highly invested in this because it's not a. It's a lot. You guys know it's a lot. Like you, I can't imagine like a spouse not. I mean, I don't think this could be one of two. Anyway, um, that might be a good topic, you know, for, for later, because I mean, like, I don't know how you do this unless as a couple, if you are a couple, you're both really vested. Like, I even flew my husband down to California to meet with someone. Normally, I would just pop on a plane and do it. But I was like, no, you got to come. Like, you got to come and you need to be in these conversations. And I'm really glad he did. Had to meet with Ben Kinney. You know, I just, I just really, it was important to me to have other third parties involved. So, um, compiled a list of 25 to 35, I'd have to check it. It's been a while markets in the United States that were, you know, 1% markets. And, um, originally just started, started throwing some columns down. All right. What's average, what's the, um, population? Is it growing or declining by what percentage? What are the top three or four primary employers, median home price, median rents, uh, property crime rate, violent crime rate, um, income tax, or sorry, property taxes, bunch of stuff. I have my assistant just start researching. So, and then we would add, I, I, would, I added that, that probably started at 20 markets and, and just talking to people, traveling around, whatever, it probably added another 10 or 15 markets. You know, check this one out. Let's add this to the list. So finally we got all the markets and I, um, we decided we were going to work with a, a marketing firm and try to source um, the properties on our own off market, keeping in mind that 
you know, this was in 20, I mean, it was a, the run-up was happening with the real estate market. This is a very hot market. So it was like, this is like 2021. This is like 2021. It's very recent. So, you know, now I think you're probably fine finding them listed, but back, back then, like, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't get, there's five offers, 10 offers on, on all of them. And you just couldn't get, you couldn't get the acquisition. Right. So we contracted with a, a marketing firm, um, and we we sent a batch of about 10,000 letters um, to the market that we chose, which was Tulsa, Oklahoma. I had never been there. In my, actually, funny side side note, funny story. We had never been there in our lives, and it just it just worked on paper, and it felt like there was a little bit of a buzz around Tulsa. You know, interesting. What I started to learn is that the Midwest of the United States, so like you know, Des Moines, Davenport, Iowa, Fargo. Moorhead, all these really small, there's a resurgence happening. And I think partly COVID helped that where they're kind of getting revitalized. Um, people can be remote, right? You know, they can work remote. And so their downtowns are um, getting, you know, they're cool. They're hip. They're cool. They're, I think there's a whole cool thing happening in, in, in a lot of these medium-sized towns in the U.S. And so um, Fargo just happened to work, no particular reason. So we just, we flew out there one weekend with no agenda other than we just were in the car all day. It was a grind for like two or three days and drove to every single, I would just get on Redfin and Zillow. I would call agents, you name it. And I just, we just drove through neighborhoods, looked through houses and knocked on doors, you name it, you know, and, and we just did our R&D. It's all we did. Through that process, just knocking on a door, meeting an investor, we, we found one of our first team members on the ground there who we still work with, who, who, who is an investor himself. He, he's an, uh, he inspects all of our properties for us. Uh, hired a full-time employer uh, employee rather for about $1,500 a month who's still working with us. Um, she manages all of our properties for us, so we don't pay a fee for that. Uh, she goes and handles all of our acquisitions on the ground, and we just created a, a system. So we'd mailed about 10,000 letters. Um, uh, I can't remember now how many appointments she went on. Probably could have gotten 20 acquisitions out of that had I been smarter and been more adept to um, uh, assignment back then. Um, you know, we would have been smarter, but we were dumb. We just, we were stupid and we just kind of jumped in and, um, through that whole process over a period of about a year, got seven properties. So we acquired seven properties in a year, um, ranging from $30,000 to $150,000. So, you know, you can imagine the $30,000 one, it was like 40,000 in reno. <laughs> so it's like. Um, and uh, bought all those properties and ended up with a uh, por an initial portfolio of about a million dollars, very low. <laughs> it's a little higher now. Um, but in, in one year, we went from, you know, zero cash flow, like $200 a month from our very low performing rental to about $3,500 a month. So um, uh, now we're just on a mission to, you know, R&D that until we get to 20. And then when we get to 20, we have our next goal after that. Uh, in that process, we have bought a couple more homes and a couple more markets. But um, in general, we're going to stick stick with Tulsa for a while and uh, try to do round two in 2024. Um, we that I mean, I don't know if you if you want to ask me lessons learned, because we we, did, we had a major screw up, which is why we're not buying right now, which I can talk that's definitely on the agenda is to ask what was the biggest hurdle that you've experienced so far 
Okay, so uh, I'd like to back up and just uh, uh, touch on what you had said, a couple of very important points. And um, one of those is the uh, cash flow and, and attention to investing for cash flow, because that's huge. It's important. It allows you to, um, you know, it equates to less risk. If you're focusing on cash flow, then you can afford a little bit more risk if you have cash flowing properties versus if you don't. Um, and then the second thing being uh, going into markets that make sense. Uh, so maybe not in your own back door, but going to where the actual numbers make sense, where the cash flow makes sense in order to achieve your goal and not being afraid to, you know, go align yourself with the team, find a team to be able to be the boots on the ground and uh, help you with the management uh, side of things as well. So uh, amazing uh, shares inside there. And a lot of that is uh, hurdles that most people have to get past especially in like markets where say Leah and I are that are close to Toronto, where, um, you know, it's a little bit more, um, expensive and, and less affordable to find, uh, you know, get into the investing space and, uh, do it for an affordable price to still cash flow as well. Yeah. That's like Seattle, like our median price is, um, you know, I don't know, 900, a million, somewhere around there. And so, it's not, I wouldn't ever say the numbers don't make sense. Like you, can you invest in Seattle and Toronto and stuff? Yeah, you can. It's just, it's probably at a different scale from, from what we were talking. Like, you know, I mean, $30,000 is not even a car in Seattle, let alone, you know, a house. So it, it's just different, different economics. And I would say it's a different um, strategy too, right? When we're looking at buying in those more expensive markets, it's usually a, it could be a negative cash flowing situation. And a lot of people are, are investing for that, um, you know, appreciation over time. So completely different strategy, totally doable. Just, yeah, if you're looking for cash flow, that, which is exactly where we started, we were looking for that cash flow. And today, we're, that's exactly what we're still looking for is that cash flow um, to have that passive monthly income, right? to replace yeah. our wages eventually. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, we, we, we require that out of the gate. Our buy boxes, like it has to cash flow with, with a very comfortable cushion out of the gate. Like, no, these are very low risk because they're not going to appreciate very much. And, you know, um, one of my, my philosophy, which again, I, you know, there's a lot of experts in this who I would defer to, but for me in an expensive coastal market in Seattle, my primary residence is going to give me a really good exit. And, um, and it, you know, I've, I've done well, and we will continue to do well in our primary residence. So I feel comfortable enough that I can make a seven figure exit from a primary, maybe a secondary home that I short-term rent, um, which is what we're working on now and say Seattle, so that I, you know, I don't necessarily need that exit from my investment portfolio. I really am just there to, for cash flow. I just, we just made that decision and we're sticking with it. We haven't wavered at all. We've wavered on other things, but not on that. Can you share anything from your experience of managing from a distance or making that decision to invest in a market that wasn't local, like mm -hmm. any of the mindset around that or the lessons learned with that that you can share with everyone. 
Yeah, it's funny. It never made me nervous, it made my husband nervous, and it makes most people I talk to nervous. A um, couple things. We read um, Out of State Investing by Bigger Pockets and, you know, use that as a guide. And then, um, you know, so different things like when we do our reno, and every single one of our properties has had some level of reno, some massive and extensive, some hardly at all, but all, all points. You know, we buy all of the materials. We have a, a commercial account now at Lowe's Tulsa and we buy all of our materials. So we're only paying the contractor for service. We do have an employee there. And so she is monitoring. But, you know, even if we didn't, we could have them video and do different things. Um, we now have four contracting crews, uh, you know, that we can call on a given day who've done a great job that we can trust. We have a spec sheet. They all have the exact same spec. So if it needs exterior painting, it's Sherwin-Williams Greek Villa with, you know, I can't remember the trim name, but it's with the same black trim. If it needs flooring, it's going to be, you know, LVP and it's going to be, we just, we have all the specs. We, we have them at low. So we just simplified the process. Um, we do the very bare minimum, you know, that we need to do, but, um, you know, you're, you're guessing a little bit. I mean, you're, you're doing the best you can for us. We had that, that employee that's really helped us. Like she can do walkthroughs and whatever. I don't know that we'll have her forever, but, but in a startup phase in a new market, it's, it was invaluable to do that for $1,500 a month. It's an, it was a no brainer. And then she got a fee for the acquisition. So, so here's, here's how it would go. So we mail a letter saying, you know, we, we, um, we can buy your home and close quickly, which we could. Um, and she would then go, we just had a process. She would go, she would, she would, uh, video extensive video, the street really important for me. I always wanted to see the street. I want to see what's next to it, across from it, you know, whatever. And we always could go, Oh yeah, I remember that neighborhood. Like we always kind of, we had driven through all of them. Um, and then she, you know, would go through the house and then we would, you know, quickly come, she would kind of come up with a value. We would all kind of collectively come up with a quick value and then, uh, give our offer, which was, you know, it, at 70 to 80% of current value minus any perceived, um, renovation that we saw that we thought, you know, might be possible, um, negotiate a sale. Like I said, we got, we did that with seven of them probably could have done more. We just ran out of cash, which we can talk about. But, um, and then, um, you know, uh, closed on it. And we, we used a number of different financing resources, anything from traditional 25% investment property financing to, uh, we got a line of credit, million dollar line of credit to hard money to cash, just cash that we had. So it just kind of varied. Um, and then uh, closed on it. Uh, did the renovation. And then for the lease up, um, you know, my husband's a property manager here in Seattle, which does give us a distinct advantage. Uh, he just, you know, he has a software, he has a, you know, 25 properties doors that he does here. So he just added our Tulsa to his portfolio. And so he, we're really property managing the financial aspect of it. And then we have boots, we have um, our gal down there who's, you know, doing the walkthrough and physically there. If that makes sense. So that was that process. What was your, what was the other question? Sorry, I forgot. No, I think you covered it. That was great. Thank you. Uh, Sean, you look like you have something. Um, yeah. So you shared some of your biggest challenges there. Um, let's uh, advise, uh, well, uh, give, give your insight in today's market. If uh, somebody was to start all over again, that's the the burning question that most people have is that, yeah, well, that was X amount of years ago, or that was some time ago. 
Um, in today's market with the uh, challenges that we have inside interest rates, everything uh, that we have going on, um, if uh, you were to give some advice to somebody that was starting out, what would you tell them and how would you uh, tell them to start? Yeah, um, I have so much because <laughs> we're just not very savvy yet. You know, we're, we're getting there for sure. But um, what we did right, um, you know, that took us a little while to figure out is that now all of our properties are wrapped into a commercial loan from a local savings and loan. So one of the things that I would encourage you to do is, is get into relationships. So I've learned a lot. And one of them is that there's relationship banking, which means literally I know some, you have to actually be in a relationship with them. Like I just thought relationship banking was a term. Like I didn't know it really meant that. So um, you have to physically meet with them in person. And once you do, they consider that, you know, an established relationship and they were fighting to compete. They were competing to um, refinance us because there's community reinvestment act, um, uh, you know, minimum standards they have to have. And, and we were we were buying in, in great neighborhoods for them, right? Some of them are um, opportunities on neighborhoods. So, you know, um, that, that's, that's one thing I recommend doing because if you're burring on any level and you want to refinance out of that, it's great. So like we're only carrying, I don't know, three residential mortgages right now with, you know, a portfolio of 10 properties total. So that's great. Like that's a good thing. Uh, one of the things I also recommend that we completely screwed up on is we just spent way too much cash. So we, you know, we we put 25% down on some traditional ones and then, you know, renovated. And we just burned through cash and we didn't we were not focused enough on speed and cycling through that and like getting them refinanced really quickly. We were just kind of and then you know rates went up and then we it just we just dawdled too long and we didn't pull enough cash out so now we're stalled and you know we could have continued to you know acquire had we have just been more savvy with that so i would say my big advice is to be aggressive about recirculating your cash like be aggressive about investing and pulling as much of that out as, as possible so that you can keep going Partly why I say that, though, you know, from a sort of conservative, from a risk standpoint, these are very conservative like investments because they cash flowed with what I what my my little term is is with insurance. So each of them cash flows. Um, like here, let me give you some examples. Actually, I have my spreadsheet in front of them. So to just give you, after all costs, like all in costs. Um, the lowest one is at 110, but the average one, they go up to six positive 650 a month cash flow, by the way. Really good numbers. Like, so, you know, one, two, two, 435, 260, 500, 650. Those are all like complete NOI after all expenses, right? So, really good numbers. And so, you know, because of that, I think you could put a little pressure on taking that cash out, you know, as long as your your um, payments are obviously that that's a hard part right now, as we all know, you know, with interest rates as high. So but some of the alternative financing, like the commercial loans and the local savings and loans um, are great. So when we when we were, we're getting um, we're making another acquisition now here in Seattle, we got an off market that we're um, we're doing our first uh, rehab loan on here, but, um, you know, we only have, like I said, three traditional loans on our credit report because the commercial loans are completely separate entity. They're under LLCs. It's, it's great. 
So I guess those are the two things that stick out. I mean, I have a lot of ones, but those are kind of the big ones where I think we did well and we didn't do well. So that's awesome. And we're we're out in Canada here. What is the landscape for like seller financing and getting a little bit more creative um, in the U.S. as far as uh, having opportunities where you might be able to, um, you know, alleviate some of the pressure from uh, from yourself as far as interest rate and uh, maybe um, you know uh, approach the seller as far as uh, doing some seller financing to get a better price on that that end uh, for the seller or whatnot, right? Um, what yeah, I, think seller, I think wraps are really exciting or, um, you know, subject twos is another way to, excuse me, another way to say that. I think those are really exciting right now. And um, yeah, I have a feeling owner financing is is happening with your more sophisticated multifamily investors that, that you talk to. In, in our world, in this little world of, you know, getting homeowners that are either that time or distress seem to be their two um biggest drivers at least you know in our experience um seller financing is sort of the opposite of what they need like most of the time they need the cash out quickly which is why you know why we're able to acquire so i, I have a feeling that that that's true though um it's just you know in, in, a, in a single family residential small market um, investment portfolio like ours, it's, you know, they want cash to close, but, um, I, you know, it, it, getting, getting comfortable with assignments and getting, you know, getting comfortable with wholesaling that that's really our next iteration. And then joint ventures, um, you know, where we're just putting deals together and, and keeping a small percentage. I'm going to start working on that, uh, next month with some, um, investor seminars that I'm doing to my database and, people that I know who are watching, we're, 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 we've been hugely successful. I, I, it's embarrassing to admit how many people I've turned out. Like I probably had 10 people say, Hey, can we like, you, you've got it down. Like, let me just give you money. And cause you're just managing it and handling it. And I, we just weren't ready, which is, you know, kind of making me cringe right now. Cause it's like with such an opportunity, but we're going to, we're going to tap into that. And that, that's what I think um, we're going to be working on the next few years is, is bringing in more partners and doing it that way. That's amazing. That was actually going to be my next question was, have you ever considered JV partnering with anybody? Because um, that seems to be the next level for a lot of people. You start with this portfolio and then you get to a certain point where you're like, okay, I think I need to get tap into other people's money, right? OPM, you hear that term a lot in yep. the investing space. So um, yeah, I feel like that's the next level for a lot of people is start partnering with people because then you can go kind of further faster. And like yep. you said, you've got the systems and then they bring the money, you bring the knowledge, and then it's this beautiful, you know, partnership. So that's amazing. Are there any other markets that um, you're looking at currently or that you feel are kind of the next one to be keeping an eye on? Yeah, I have a, I have a couple. I, you know, we, we would, you know, to be clear, like we'll, we'll go where there, there's a deal that's fine. I think, you know, we just kind of created this incredible, I call them our ground crew, like in, in Tulsa. And so um, we've had a couple invitations and I'm like, I, I don't know why we'd leave Tulsa right now. Like we, you know, we have what most people want, which is a, a great team on the ground. That said, um, I'm hearing a lot more chatter about like, let's see here, Louisville, um, about some of these um, like Des Moines, Fargo, Fargo-Moorhead. Um, 
Um, like I said, Davenport, I'm just starting to, you know, there are some that are sticking out. Um, some of the old tried and true markets seem like um, not as, I mean, like there's some merging markets for sure. I love Texas and I still, I, we have one property in Texas, but the property taxes are really high there. So just, just trying to get that, those numbers to work. Like we're negative cash flow on an Austin, Texas property we bought, kind of do our conversation about cash flow, but um, our son started attending UT Austin. And so we were able to put him on title. He's now a Texas resident. Um, we're negative, like barely $250 a month. And I'll tell you all that is, you know, a fraction of the cost the dorm was costing us. And so, you know, to me, it's, it's not negative at all. Cause we, we were, we committed to paying the dorm anyway. Uh, that, that thing we got at 345 and like 2020, I'm positive it's worth 550 or 600 now, even in the depressed Austin market. So we will probably make a profit on college, which is crazy to make a, you know, a profit on, on paying to send your kid away to college. So it's a really smart thing to do in Texas. Their residency laws aren't very strict. So, so I could see going in Texas again, it just would need to work. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. I know uh, one thing you touched on, I just wanted to circle back for a minute, was starting your journey and knowing your numbers, so, so important, and knowing where you want to go. Um, like you have to know like what's important to you because we talked about different strategies and stuff and you have to know what's the ultimate goal and check in with where am I at currently and where do I need to be to get there? Like that's so, so important. So I hope people really heard that and that it's not just about going and buying the property like know your numbers get in touch with your numbers be real about where you are at and celebrate those little milestones along the way because i know that's something that we had to get in touch with was our own numbers and understanding where we were at currently in order to to know where we want to go right so thank you for sharing that as well Thank you. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, it's kind of a progressive revelation. So, you know, I think that, you know, what, what I knew on day one and what I know now, it was a gradual, you, you learn things as you need to. I mean, partly why we entered Tulsa was it was so cheap. We just knew that we were going to screw up and we were like, well, you know, let's screw up with this price point rather than trying to do this in like, you know, in the millions, right? Like, so, it, it, it boosted our confidence. It, it made us like, yeah, like part of it was to just see if we had a stomach for it. And we do, we really enjoy it. And so like, you know, there's a lot of good that it's done. The next iteration will be even better and better. And I'm sure we'll leave Tulsa. Like, I, I just don't think that we're done there yet. I don't, I don't think there's a reason to be done there right now. So. And I think uh, there was one part of your story that maybe we didn't touch on. Sean, did you want to segue yeah. into that? Would love to, uh, the one uh, thing that you'd shared a, a while ago that really, really hit home on that, and, and I find that um, it's a mindset shift as well, is that um, taking your personal residence and looking at that, and a lot of people have a lot of untapped equity inside their personal residence and maybe not utilizing that personal residence to its fullest capability. We all, you know, our home is our castle. Uh, taking a moment to reflect on that on that castle that you're living in in that moment and whether or not you need all the room, whether or not you need all that equity, if you can make a move that would open up uh, capital for you to even start your journey. Um, and 
I know that uh, you had shared before what that looked like uh, for you as well. Yeah, and I think that that's a good conversation right now because we're all watching the the short-term rental market. I don't know if implode is too strong a word, but we're watching it be affected a lot in a lot of markets. I think that a couple things are true. Number one, STRs are still really strong in resort communities where they're going to be really strong, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, when hotels and resorts and, you know, a true second home community is probably where they're going to always thrive, right? So I think one of the, one of the just blessings and benefits of, you know, being alive in this time is that we can all buy second and third and fourth homes and we can have killer places to use and to have a great life in that can also bring us income. I mean, you know, that's to me the the best use of a short-term rental. I, I'm not, I'm not knocking it's it, look there's, I have a lot of friends that have great portfolios of it and, and, and I, that's great. So what we did is we, um, bought a, a house on the lake about 90 minutes away from our house using equity from our house um sold that house we, we sold our house and bought two houses primary primary secondary house the second one we're in contract on now that i just mentioned and the house that we're in contract on now the day we close we'll have equity and it's very hard to do that in the i'm in a this is an expensive suburb of seattle this is this is in one of the prime suburbs um, but we're getting a rehab loan. We're getting into the whole thing at 3.5% down, which if you can believe it, because our FHA limits are like 965 here. And um, uh, I mean, when the numbers work to flip, you know, you got a great deal. We're not going to flip it, right? That's going to be our primary home. I could flip it immediately though and, and have it return. That's how good the numbers are. And I have a secondary home that we're going to start short-term renting soon. And um, uh, we will, we will, 100% get a third home in the next few years, you know, in a, another hopefully sunny place, sunnier place, you know, maybe Phoenix or somewhere. And so, you know, all that to say, like, I, I do think that that's a conversation we have to be careful with, like, it's an exciting one. And it's also one we have to be careful with, because I do think that in, in these expensive markets, that's, that's when we start looking at our exit as our appreciation. Like I like, I like that I know that I have this, this great asset that's growing here. And that gives me the, the safety and the freedom um, to make the decision to go buy a whole big portfolio just on cash flow. So, you know, I want both. And I also think commercial is, is, you know, is an interesting thing in this mix because I think we'll start graduating to multifamily. I think we'll start graduating to commercial like most people do. And, um, you know, th there might be some plays where those are a little bit more appreciation exits, but I will always put pressure on cash flow. That's still going to be our number one because I don't really care ultimately what the exit is if I'm bringing 20, 30, 40, $50,000 in a month it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's fine. You know, we harden all of our assets. Like every single one of them has all, you know, luxury vinyl, whatever. Like we, we put a little bit in nicer into them originally. They're good for their decade. They're good. They're all, that's our goal. Are they going to be rehab for a decade? Doesn't have to be 30 years, but a decade. So I don't know, like, I feel really good about our mix. I feel like we have a really good portfolio. We've got like that Austin house. We're going to have you know, three houses with a, an appreciation exit and then another seven so far that are cash flowing really well. And you know, who knows what we'll do next year. Amazing. No, I uh, appreciate you sharing all of your journey and uh, uh, sharing what your mix of your portfolio looks like as well. And um, some of the uh, challenges and triumphs uh, throughout the journey. 
if you were to recommend a resource or a tool, whether it be podcasts, books, um, where would you recommend uh, that people, or what kind of resource would you recommend that people focus on? Or if it was one, what would you pick? Just one. It's funny. It's not investment, actually. The one that really changed my mindset because it, it was happening when when I was when I ha- was forced to do that net worth. It's called um, uh, Win Make Give, and it's the Wealth Series. So um, Ben Kinney and, and he actually did a 2.0 recently. Um, that changed my life. It, it really did because that was where really where when you um, if you could, if you put it in show notes, you can the they have, it's like, I think it's winmitgive.com. I don't even know, but they, they have the net worth uh, sheet that we still use. Like that's the one we use the advanced one if you get on there. And, and then, and then listening to that together actually had my son listen to it as well, who graduated from college with $20,000 in a stock account from that. Right. I mean that it changed our family, you know, really listening to that that kind of helped us define what we needed for retirement and getting into all those discussions, which is then when we backed into the real estate investing, I would say the bigger pockets out of state investing book would be the biggest like resource we use. I can't read, I'm sure you'll put it in show notes, but it's, it's whatever they're out of state and how to invest out of state or something. And we, we really took that to heart. Like we really um, probably are doing 70% of that, that book. So, and then, and then we read the Burr book. But, but I think the out-of-state investing book was kind of more, has been more our Bible. So. I definitely, I wrote that one down and I can uh, completely agree with you with, uh, with the Win, Make, Give Wealth uh, uh, series there. Ben has a phenomenal way of taking complex uh, thoughts, complex uh, situations and making it very bite-sized for you so that yeah. easy to understand. He's just a, an amazing uh, source of knowledge. So yeah, uh, definitely recommend people Click the link in the show notes. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, click the link down below and uh, go take a look at when make give and start tracking your net worth. It's important. Yep, for sure. Awesome. Well, Via, thank you so much for pouring uh, value into us today and our audience. So we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, bless us with your, your presence and being able to uh, share with us today. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Bia. I'm so blessed. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. We hope that you enjoyed the show today and that we brought you some value. We'd love it if you give some feedback. Let us know what you think about the show and what you'd like to hear. And while you're at it, give us a follow so you don't miss out on any further episodes.